Kevin Bowen here. Don't forget to listen to The Fan now on 93.5 or 107.5 FM. And check out our latest coverage online at 1075thefan.com. And welcome back. Kevin's Corner time. Back with another Colts podcast. Hope you guys enjoyed little Pacers action last Friday on the pod. If you haven't, please check that out and give us your thoughts on that. But now we're back into our Colts rhythm one a week until training camp at Grand Park. I believe July 27th is kind of the tentative date on that. And we'll see uh, exactly what the hardcore dates are with training camp. You know, you guys heard on last week's podcast, the Frank Reich interview, uh, that the Carolina Panthers will be coming to town. I'm assuming and pull up my calendar real fast. August 15th is that preseason opener against the Panthers over at Lucas Oil State, and the only home game in the preseason. I'm guessing August 12th and 13th, that Thursday, Friday, mm-hmm. would be the other joint sessions there uh, with them taking off day on that Saturday and then practice on Sunday. Um, but, yeah, we got that to look forward to. And Chris Presley back on the Colts podcast. We had Mark Dykton last week. Uh, congrats to your volunteers from Tennessee. I appreciate it. Thank you. That was impressive, to say the least. They are off to the College World Series. Uh, my Notre Dame Fighting Irish, valiant effort. Mm-hmm. But I feel like with Northern schools, we we often say that, and they just don't make it to the College World Series. But, yeah. It's fun watching college baseball, though. It is. This I, time I, of year. Have you ever done the Omaha trip? No. I No, it's, you know... You know, there, there's a lot of items on the bucket list. Mm-hmm. If Maddie Bowen knew how many items were on the sports bucket list, she'd probably you know cry. But uh, it's on it. Um, also, just going to and I've been to an SEC afternoon baseball game. I love to go to an SEC night baseball mm-hmm. game. Watching that Mississippi State atmosphere. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Don't think anyone was sober in that building. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's that's definitely on the bucket list. Have you done the Omaha? I've not. And if I ever were to do it i guess this would be the year but i, yeah. would, I would just want to do maybe the the friday saturday mm-hmm. just go and literally go to all four sessions right that right, way right. you can say hey i watched the national champion at some point or another and then yeah and then head back because it's not the most enjoyable drive but when you're in the midwest not many i know drives i'm guessing are. what do you think eight ish probably around there yeah, yeah 10 i don't know something like that i'm trying to think i've done the drive to missouri uh, Columbia, that is, for the university, mm-hmm. uh, for a college trip, but haven't made it any further. I know it's a little bit of a different route, I think, than that. Um, so, yeah, it's been, uh, you know, one thing, and this is my bitter Notre Dame football or Notre Dame sports fan rant here for about a minute or two, which I know you all are dying to hear. Watching that is a reminder of just the difference between SEC baseball and Northern baseball, like depth. Like, quality depth. Right. I mean, Notre Dame had their chance in the first game to win that game, and they knew full well if they got to a third pitcher, it wasn't going to end well. And Mississippi State has all these arms, and SEC schools have all these arms. And it just reminded me back to, and boy, if this doesn't sound bitter, it will, uh, Notre Dame in the Elite Eight against Kentucky, you know, a handful of years ago when they had a great five, maybe six guys that could play, yep. and all of a sudden Kentucky's bringing a five-star freshman off the bench named Devin Booker. And he's hitting a couple threes in that game. And now look at Devin Booker. My gosh, he's great. You know, obviously I think of Notre Dame and college football playoffs where, you know, Notre Dame from a starting 11 standpoint, could they hang in there? Sure, on each side of the ball. But then you start getting into depth. And you you can say this about a high school football team at the 3A level trying to play a 6A school. It's You start to get into the depth, and that's where you really get exposed at it so um yeah that's just my again bitter notre dame fan of getting close in football basketball and baseball but certainly not getting all the way so good luck to your volunteers appreciate it over the next couple weeks and i enjoy this time of the year sports calendar because it's a lot of like do or die you know you got this best of three format which is very like holy shit these games matter as we sit here right now three of the four nba series are tied at 2-2 i mean that's great theater now uh, the swimming, diving trials, yep. the Olympic trials, that as well. So I know from an NFL standpoint, it's minicamp week, supposed to be minicamp week. Some teams are still doing it. The Colts are not. And then uh, we got Brooksy this weekend. Yes, and we got a little Bro- U.S. Brooks Open. and Brooksy. I know. I just saw <laughs> somewhere where I, I hope this report is not true, but I think it probably is true that you know I want Brooks and Bryson paired together yep. at the U.S. Open and that the USGA called 
Bryson's agent asked him if they would be okay with that, and Bryson said no. Have First players off, always dictated that? Exactly. First off, I'm the USGA. I say, F <laughs> that, and you two will be paired together because we decide the pairings. Um, but, you know, golf is weird. So we'll see. I just want Phil somewhat close on Sunday. That would be the great drama. Mm-hmm. You know, San Diego kid, never won the U.S. Open, all those things. But yeah. that's primetime viewing, West Coast. I know you're not a huge golf fan, but usually you get into the majors. So um, that'll be fun to watch. I'm not, and I've heard you say, and we'll probably recap at the end of this too, but Great Father's Day weekend, and happy Father's Day to all you guys that have children. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, happy Father's Day to everyone out there, um, those that are here, those that aren't here as well. And um, thank you to everybody and, of course, the mothers as well. Um, But, yeah, let's get on the podcast. Yeah, let's jump into your rant. Your rant was something that I think most sports fans have regarding their favorite teams. Yeah. Because when you look at the end of the day, I mean, you look at the offensive line for Kansas City last year, you look at – you know, just different position groups, like you said, when you just go back to Notre Dame, it's always comes down to depth. And that's probably where you're going to take us here on this little bit of an intro journey, Kevin, when it comes to least confident positions, does that come down? And we'll go through all four, Mm -hmm. but we'll start with defensive end. Is it because of the depth? Yeah, you know, it's last week we did the most confident or what makes you sleep the best at night. This week we'll go the flip side of that. It's a weird balance in the NFL, Chris, of like, there are these four or five positions that really, really matter. But then there's also the balance of 1 to 53. How balanced are you across that board of can you withstand injuries? Um, You know, I've talked a little bit about it, but Chris Ballard has always been a believer in the trenches. And now at the 17th game, he's even more of a believer. And rotating guys in the D line and having guys, you know, on the O line to handle the attrition that inevitably develops there. So I put defensive end as my least confident position right now. If you, like, look at the actual names and their production in the NFL, I don't know if you're that confident that there's anybody in that group that's a 16-game starter, Um, which I guess is interesting to say in in, in a way. But, you know, Tyquan Lewis, you you think, but, you know, if you really were going to pick Tyquan Lewis's ideal position, it's probably more as an interior rush option on the pass downs. Al-Kadeen Muhammad, really nice player. I'd probably like him better as my third defensive end than my first or second D end. Uh, Same thing I think you'd be said about Isaac Rochelle. And then when you go a little bit deeper into that position group, it's Kamoko Ture and it's Ben Banigou. And we've talked about them a whole lot for different reasons and just their lack of entrenching themselves in the NFL. So, when you look at the sack numbers, Chris, of those five names, and those are the five names that I come back to, Lewis, Rochelle, Muhammad, more of the veterans, um, and I guess Ture and Banigou, just experience-wise, we, we call them a little bit younger. None of them have reached 10 career sacks in the NFL. Um, you know, Most of them kind of hover around like a handful of sacks in the NFL. Now these guys haven't played seven, eight years in the league, but, you know, they've played three or four years mm-hmm. or, you know, a little bit more in in, in some cases. But um, it's an unproven group, and it's a group that I just wouldn't sleep great with. Now, obviously, Quiddy Pay, Dayo Adangbo, the two names we haven't mentioned yet. Obviously, Pay, you expect to play a whole lot um, early on. But, you know, that's a question of just, you know, how much can you rely on a rookie defensive end? Do I think Quiddy Pay is more ready for the NFL than other defensive ends, definitely. Um, but I still think there is a question mark that you would have with any rookie, but you have with him. And then Dio, it, it's more of a health thing. So, um, yeah, it's just it, it, it's a group that when we talk a little bit earlier in the podcast about the positions that mean the most in the NFL, this is one of them. So I think that's a reason why it is so high on my list because I grade it with such a yeah. tough – I because it does mean so much to teams and it means a whole lot to the Colts because you're choosing to mostly rush four and try to drop seven and things like that. So in my positions that would uh, make me stir a little bit at night, I will go with the defensive end group. Luckily behind those guys, Xavier Rhodes comes back for another year. Marvell Tell returns to action. That helps a little bit with the cornerback group, but that's still another position group that you have uh, in the least confident. Yeah, and I just think there's a – there's a drop-off, you know, from those two. And I know a lot of people are like, well, you know, third corner, 
we're getting a little nitpicky. I mean, a third corner today in the NFL, you might argue, is more important than your second linebacker. That's just how the game has has evolved yeah, to right. where you have three and four wideouts on the field that you care a whole lot about who is that third corner. Now, in the Colts' case, the third corner is not their slot corner. Kenny Moore is their slot. But when you bring a third corner on the field, that now becomes an outside corner. And that guy, Rocky Seen, TJ Carey, at times we saw opposing offenses certainly pick on them. So I think that's why um, teams have exposed that second outside corner. And that would be a kind of a least confident position for me. And then, of course, you are one injury to a Rhodes or to a Kenny Moore away from, oh my, you know, Rocky Seen, you're playing every single snap. Marvell Tell, you're playing a ton. Isaiah Rogers, you might be playing a ton. There's a lot of different types, body types, names in this group, um, which I think I'm curious about. That isn't necessarily like a huge lack of confidence. Um, Certainly, I'd like to see what they do in camp and the preseason and things like that. And then, Chris, I think you look at the wideouts on this year's schedule. That's another reason why when we're talking here in 2021, I'd have this group second on the list. Uh, because it is a DK Metcalf, it is AJ Brown twice, it is Julio Jones twice. Yeah, um, you know Stephon Diggs is on that schedule. Mike Evans and Chris Godwin are on the schedule. Uh, Stephon Diggs is on the schedule. I know I'm probably forgetting some. Tyler I, Lockett. Is on that yeah, schedule. Tyler Lockett. I mean Robert Woods, Cooper Cup. If you want to go a little bit lower on the list, I mean you're naming some damn good wideouts there, and a lot of different types of wideouts, whether that be a Metcalf. Um, you know, who obviously is a huge, huge body. Well, yeah, but you like look at the Bills. Like you said, you have Stefan Diggs, but then you have Cole Beasley, who yeah. gets 10 receptions a game. Right. So you got to watch all the, all the receivers. Certainly. He had some huge catches in that wild card game as well. So, um, yeah, I go, you know, DN corner is my first two. Now, I'll, obviously, that's, that's past defense. Um, and I think that is um, probably. I don't know, top of mind of if you're ranking rushing offense, passing offense, run defense, pass defense, I'd say pass defense is probably my my biggest concern. The next we're we're going to touch on is, uh, I think, probably linked to an article that you typed or sent out on Monday about Jacob Eason and the quarterback room because you have that that listed third. Yeah, and you know, some people might have this higher. Some people might have it lower. I could probably hear some debates on both. Why I say it is lower is literally – um, you have a backup in Jacob Eason who's never even put on a jersey in an NFL game. Um, I'm not like – I don't roll over at night thinking to myself, and again, I'm picturing Chris Ballard, and I don't think Chris Ballard really worries about a whole lot, but I don't picture all of a sudden the Colts totally freaking out about Carson Wentz, and I don't think they should be. I, I think there are reasons for some optimism in Carson Wentz, but anytime. It is an unknown at quarterback, the pressure that comes with that position, and the fact that you've made a several-year commitment. Um, Contractually, it's probably only really a two-year commitment to Carson Wentz. Resource-wise, you could argue it's a little bit longer-term commitment. Yes, you're not giving draft picks in 2023, 2024, but the fact that you have committed to him, uh, I think, for at least two years, it does limit what you can do draft-wise or whatever in trying to find that next quarterback. It's one of those things to me of like the Colts have kind of dipped their toe. You know, it's like whatever. It's like late May and, you know, you feel like it's like 78 degrees outside. And you're like, oh, yeah, we can go in the pool. But you're not like totally sure mm-hmm. and you're kind of dipping it in there. That's that's kind of where I'm at with the Colts. It's not like July and it's 95 degrees and you just jump in and who gives a shit? Like, you know full well it's going to feel good. They're not fully there with their commitment of quarterback, but they definitely are sticking their toes in somewhat. Um, so that's where I go with it here. Of I think Wentz can be – I'd be shocked if he wasn't a top 20 quarterback in the league this year. Obviously, people have higher expectations, but like I don't expect to see the Wentz we saw last year. Um, so that's why I don't have it with corner and end. But the fact that your backup has never played, never dressed – and there is some questions about your starter. I think it deserves to be on this list. Last position group on this list is one that we've got a lot of Twitter questions about and we'll touch on, especially after the Julio Jones signing by the Titans, but that's the wide receiver group. Yeah, I honestly think here it's just a little bit more injuries for me. You know, Campbell being the biggest one. Uh, I guess age with T.Y. Hilton. You know, T.Y. played every game but one last year, so I don't 
think that the injuries that we might have saw 2018, 2019, that's as, you know, center-facing as a storyline here. Um, I also think we're a little bit scarred as Colts fans or covers of the Colts that this group has underperformed seemingly every year around T.Y. Hilton, really ever since 2013 or 2014. And so I think that's a reason why that you put it on this list. And I also just think support for Carson Wentz. You know, O-line run game, those are two positions that I talked about a whole lot last week as positions that you're confident in. Um, Tight end, I I don't, again, lose too much sleep over that. I think it's this wideout group of, when you look at the big three at wideout, Campbell, Pittman, Hilton, all of them have a question kind of immediately attached to it. Some is more pressing than others. Campbell, it's the injuries. Pittman, it's the, we expect him to take a jump. How does he get, how does he handle being more of the number one from an attention standpoint? I I mean, if you're a D coordinator right now, I'm going to commit a good amount more to Michael Pittman than I'm going to commit to T.Y. Hilton. I think, you know, some might argue you saw a little bit of that in the playoff game uh, with with Buffalo. I think that will be the norm, honestly, moving forward. As he grows, too. I mean, yeah, I mean, week two, you know, is it a more of a Jalen Ramsey, you know, on on Michael Pittman? I I know that might sound crazy, but I I don't think it's that absurd. Um, And then obviously, Hilton is just the age and the lack of production since Andrew Luck has retired. It was. an article I posted, or I think I have scheduled to post maybe later this week, on just the debate about spreading the ball around. Um, and while that's great for unpredictability and things like that, and it's awful for fantasy owners trying to predict who's going to catch a lot of balls for the Colts, you look at the wideout numbers and the sheer catch numbers from that position for the Colts, they have not had that dominant number one, really, ever since... Um, I'd say 2017, maybe even 2016. Like Hilton's, Hilton has led the wideouts and catches, and I want to say it's like 45, 55, and like 72 over the last three years are his catch numbers. That's nowhere near what you see from most teams having that number one wideout. Um, so I, I'm intrigued to see if that changes a little bit here in uh, 2021. So any uh, anything jump out at you? With that DN corner quarterback wideout, anything you disagree, agree with? Uh, I think a lot of people might have a little pushback on the quarterback simply because now we have three. Now, granted, like you said, those their two are un, very unproven, so they might not. Um, but you know, sometimes the, the things that we get back and forth is you know, one week people think we, we love Carson Wentz, and the next week we we are unsure about Carson Wentz, but. We can only talk about we got to see what they produce on the field before we can really start to dissect some of these guys. Yeah, and, and the Wentz debate is certainly fascinating for, for obvious reasons. But to me, I guess where I have it is just I have a third in this list. There's some scar tissue that I think you're worried about. But Frank Reich's presence gives me a good amount of confidence mm-hmm. that it maybe shouldn't be where it is on this list. I also think it's indicative of kind of where the Colts roster is right now. I mean, think about the positions we named last week. Running back. O-line, linebacker, safety, D-tackle. Even if Carson Wentz is the 12th best quarterback in the league this year, I still think those positions those should be higher than the quarterback. Positions. I mean, those are very positions. Again, we're talking about sleeping well and trying to throw something on the TV at 3 a.m. Like, that's kind of where we're at right now with this. So I, I think it's, again, more of um, something that's indicative of what your roster now Going back to, again, kind of our theme of how we started this podcast, you think about the big positions in the NFL. Shit, I mean, these look at these four. DN, corner, quarterback, wideout. You know, outside of left tackle, these are the four that you would probably put on that list. I think that is where it gives you just a little bit of pause of, okay, these are the positions that maybe matter a little bit more yeah. than some of the others we named last week. Well, if you're listening to this podcast on audio platforms, go ahead and head to 1075thefan.com all week for up-to-date articles from Kevin Bowen. If you are listening on YouTube, look into the description below. We're going to start linking some of these articles for you just to make it one click easier for you. I love it. That's great. Thank you for doing that. Yeah. Let's jump into Twitter questions. Julio Jones going to the Titans is the worst-case scenario for us. I think they should be a slight favorite to win the division. Please tell me why I'm wrong, and then explain the Colts' path to winning this thing. That's from Gatto. All right, so um, we didn't get a whole lot into this last week, Chris, and just kind of like 
you know, AFC South hierarchy and whatnot. I would say before the Julio trade, I felt good about the Colts winning the division. Um, you know, I've been, I think, much higher. Certainly, my colleagues sometimes would make fun of me about I was much more of a believer in the Titans than I think most. Um, I look at it now as this. I think the Colts are the more rounded team. Uh, better defense, bar none, for sure. But I do think Tennessee has a little bit more potential. It's interesting. I don't necessarily say that about the quarterback. I think we kind of know what Tannehill is. Very fine quarterback, like nothing against him. Uh, but I do think Wentz, there is a higher ceiling. Now, the chances of reaching that ceiling, are they great? Uh, you know, probably not. But I do think the Colts have a higher ceiling at QB. I just kind of like Tennessee's potency on offense. And we talked about it last week. Just because they run it with Henry all day long, we forget they average over 30 points per game. That's damn good. Now, their defense is where they've had issues, and they've made yep. a big overhaul there. So, um, I think who can survive the start? of these schedules. Uh, Mark rattled off Tennessee's schedule last week early on in the year. Oh, shit, man. It's <laughs> We think the Colts got a tough slate out of the gate. Tennessee, I think it starts a little bit more deeper into September, but that's really difficult. And remember, the Colts and the Titans play both of their meetings before Halloween. So we're going to get to November and know who's in the driver's seat yep. with that head-to-head tiebreaker. So um, I do think there's a path for the Colts to win the division, certainly. Now, you'd love to for some injuries to be involved. I know that might sound weird and, and you know, probably mean, but whatever. That's the reality of playing the NFL and, and sports in general. Um, I'll probably still go with Tennessee if you're going to make me, like, pick a division winner. But I don't think the gap is as wide or should be as wide as maybe some others believe. I, I, I still think the Colts are very capable of winning this division. From Gary, great interview with Frank Reich last weekend, Kevin, and thanks for including it in your podcast. You bet. Yeah, I'm glad uh, you guys enjoyed that. In your opinion, is Frank Reich involved enough with the Colts' defense as a head coach? Um, Boy, he's got a lot on his plate, you know, already. I mean, he's the head coach, he's the play caller, and he's the, the QB fixer, you know, yeah. or at least you hope he is right now. That's a whole lot. Now, where I would like to see Reich... And again, I know the Colts would push back on this. I think there could be a little bit more innovation across the levels of the defense that I would like to see. I'd like to see a little bit more of Frank Reich's chess match um, utilized defensively. So that's where I'd like to see his involvement. Now, necessarily game planning each week and you know responsibilities on Sunday. No, I mean, that's way too much for him to be worried about because he's got a whole lot more. Um, so I do think there's been strides taken there, but I think it could continue to be a little bit more. Okay. This next one comes from Scotty. Hey, fellas. In the worst-case scenario that none of the backup left tackles should be able or capable enough to handle the job this preseason, could we see Quentin Nelson slide to left tackle until Eric Fisher is healthy? Thanks for all the great content. Oh, okay. All right, so... Scotty's talking week one, mm -hmm. you know, I assume. Uh, preseason looks ugly at left tackle. Well, man, that would have to be a pretty shitty preseason, I'll be honest with you. Because think about it, Chris. Not only is Sam Tevy, but, you know, Will Holden is an option. Um, some might argue that you or I have been better than Julian Davenport in the NFL. But, I mean, he started whatever, 20-some games in the league. So he's a name as well. And I guess my question would be this, Scotty. You only play three preseason games. Mm-hmm. I am a big believer in this, Chris. I don't know if we've touched on this a whole lot in the podcast. I want the starters playing every single preseason game. Now, obviously, they're not going to play the whole game. Duh. But I don't want any of this BS week four preseason game. You know, it's – Big Joe was talking about this earlier today. It's, you know, Kentucky Derby hat wearing on the sideline with your starters. Like, your third preseason game – let me pull back up that schedule. Okay, your third preseason game is – August 27th. Yep. That is a Friday night against the Lions. You then don't play until September 12th. Now, typically, your last preseason game would be like, if we're going off this year's schedule, your last preseason game would be that September 2nd. You know, you'd play that, whatever, 10, 11 days oh, yeah. before the start of the regular season. Now you have a, what is that, 16 days? You can't tell me your starters can't play a half of football? That day, I mean, hell, I, I'd blame him in the third quarter, but that's me. And 
you know, I think part of this keeps on coming back to like <clears throat> season opener. Yeah. I haven't won it since 2013. I know we talk about it endlessly, but I would like to see your starters play in all three preseason games. So what I'm getting at with that is this, Scotty. Okay, if Sam Tebby looks terrible in two series in week one, you're probably going to give him a chance in week two. He looks god-awful in week two. Now you try Will Holden out a little bit there. Um, you get to week three of the preseason, that's where you're going to have to decide. I think Quentin Nelson, if you're under this scenario, he would need some preseason reps there. Where? When? You know, that would be the question I have there. Now, that might just have to be an internal thing in that 16-day break of where you're just like, guys, we tried Tevi. We tried you – know, maybe Holden gets hurt. I don't know, something like that. We just got to make this decision. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, Quentin doesn't want to play left tackle in an ideal world. The Colts don't want him there in an ideal world. But um, I would say no just because, man, that would have to look like – Boy, that'd have to look bad at left tackle. So I understand the question, but I'm going to go with no. And I know Aaron Donald, obviously, is a freak and can line up really anywhere on that defensive right. line. But week two, I want Quentin Nelson and Ryan Kelly right there in the middle. Dude, uh, we were talking about it yesterday. I was filling in the morning show. I mean, we talk about one-on-one matchups in the NFL and appointment viewing. You want to be in Lucas Oil Stadium, and you want to be sitting pretty low, and you want to watch Quentin Nelson and Aaron Donald go at it yeah. for 60 minutes. I mean, that's, again, I'm sure Donald will move over to Mark Lewinsky a good amount. But, yeah, that's uh, that, that'll be fun. This one comes from RC. One player who should be under a lot of pressure, but I don't hear anyone talk about as much as Bobby Okariki. How confident are you in him? That's a good one. We don't talk about Bobby Okariki a whole lot, RC. Um I mean, Jim Irsay thinks he's a pro bowler. The Colts are very high on him. I think part of that was, you know, Anthony Walker in the playing time decrease last year as it as it moved along. You know, I would say I'm somewhat confident in him. A couple things I want to see more. I want to see Bobby get around the ball a little bit more, touch the ball a little bit more. And when I say touch the ball, I mean passes defense, turnovers, things like that. Um you know, he's got this great length and great sideline-to-sideline ability. I'd like to see that a little bit more in the impactful plays. And then certainly he's got to take on some more communication. He's your Mike. He is your Mike linebacker now. You know, Darius is your will. You want your Mike as a communicator. And really, it's not like he's coming off the field. I mean, I think if you're playing tomorrow, I would think him and Darius will play every snap. I, I, I don't think that there's a need for them to come off the field, certainly not Leonard. Um, and then I guess lastly, I don't know how much of his responsibilities have fallen down this path, but I think they do now. He's got to get dirty. Like, he, he's got to get in there, get mm-hmm. in the middle of it all and help out against the run. And sure, you know, that seems like an obvious thing for a linebacker, but without Anthony Walker and with teams, I think, that will try to test the Colts when they do go to nickel and run against them, um, he's got to get a little bit dirtier in the middle of that fray. So we'll get into a pod here coming up on, you know, the most indispensable Colts, the most pressure Colts. It's interesting how you look at it. You know, in one way, there's a lot of pressure on a Kamoko Ture for his own individual self. When you're talking team pressure, Darius Leonard and Bobby Okereke would be pretty high on the list because their backups yeah. are question marks, are mm-hmm. unknowns. So, um, that is something that we'll get into a little bit more here in the next month. All right. Well, Cody totally understands that these guys had two different careers, but what's your opinion? Okay. Who is more underrated, Zach Pascal or T.Y. Hilton? Oh, wow. Yeah, va- vastly different careers. Okay, Pascal versus Hilton. Um, Boy, that's a good question, Cody. You know, I, I think this about T.Y. I just think he's taken for granted. You know, when you look at – people forget, and the Colts were not trading up to draft T.Y. Hilton, but they ended up drafting him. He was a late third-round pick. That's, you know, what, 90-some guys taken before him? I mean, look at some of these wideouts taken. Obviously, the Colts have had some yep. taken. Moncrief and, and Campbell and um, I guess now Pittman. Um, you know, it's just not a slam dunk. You find these wideouts in round two and round three, and they come in and they're – impactful players, let alone 10-year vets going on the third contract with this team and, you know, still producing at a, at a decent level. So 
I would say Hilton is just taken for granted. I never really hear him talked about much in the elite wideouts, and that's fine now. He's not an elite wideout. But, like, in 2016, he led the league in receiving, and I felt like he never even heard. I, yeah. I don't know. I felt like he ne- – and I know we're, we're getting down the, you know, Colt, Pacer, national attention sort of topic, which, you know, you could talk about every single day. But I just don't feel like Hilton has ever been mentioned in that group. For me, as long as the guys lining up across from them respect them. Right. And, you know, don't have them as underrated, then yeah, who cares what matters. I think sitting in section 420 right, or whatever. Sure. Yeah, or up first or whatever the hell that show's called. I, I guess to your question, Cody, the more underrated, it's probably Pascal. Just the fact of, like, I feel like I look at a box score after every game and I'm like, wow, Zach Pascal, four catches for 48 yards and a critical – you know, 18-yarder on a big-time drive when it was second and 15 or something like that. Like, that to me is, like, the underrated. And just how much he plays. I mean, I'd have to look it up, but, like, there are games certainly where you've been healthy at wide out and Zach Pascal plays 92% of the snaps. It's like, what? Yeah. <laughs> you know, 14 is still out there. So, um, yeah, Cody, that's a that's a good one. That's good summertime thinking question oh, yeah. there. That's good. Yeah, my, my brain. <laughs> yeah, I don't do coffee often. I did this morning for the morning show, and uh, I, I'm glad I did it. There you go. From Bryson, do you think there's a chance that Chris Reed could potentially overtake Mark Glowinski at right guard? I know he hasn't been talked about much this offseason, but I know he had a pretty solid or a pretty solid year in Carolina. He did. And now some people might say Chris Reed. I didn't know that was a player on the Colts, but um, he was kind of the third of the O-line signings this offseason, Davenport and Tevi, the other two. If you look at their O-line depth right now, Chris, and I mentioned this in last week's podcast, you've got about a, over 100 starts Yeah, with your backups. I mean, that's notable. Um, Reed has some. Yeah, he could. he's someone we haven't talked about, but he could play a huge role. I mean, huge, huge role. So, um, yeah, that is – that's a name. And a possibility. Now, obviously, if healthy, Glowinski is going to be your starter. I, I don't think, like, he could overtake Glowinski. I don't think that. Um, I think it's important for continuity that you keep those four, you know, left guard over to right tackle still there. And I thought Glowinski honestly played decent last season. I think he kind of gets a bad rap for being the fifth offensive lineman. But, um, yeah, I mean, Chris Reed, you know, re-signing with Glowinski in the contract year coming up. Those sorts of things are all kind of on my mind. So one to break down here a little bit, Kevin. This one comes from Zach. says, while he's listening to the nationally oriented podcast, he gets frustrated when they talk about the Colts because the gist is being Phillip Rivers was playing at such a high level that Carson Wentz won't be able to reach, and the Colts only got worse. Zach says, I 100% agree that Rivers was maximizing his play to such a level that I don't think Wentz will reach his ceiling in 2021. But Rivers also had zero mobility, wouldn't QB sneak, and lack top arm end strength. I think Carson having these facets adds one, playbook concepts to make the play calling, to, to, to make the play, I should say, two, calling less predictable, and three, improvisation and unscripted plays being made. And second or third and long isn't a death sentence to any drive anymore. Am I being a biased fan to think the offensive ceiling is higher, or do I have a point? Oh, yeah, I think the offense's ceiling is certainly higher, yeah. Um, now, is, is there a lower floor? Yes. Um, you know, it's like, and honestly, the QB sneak part, I, I, I don't, I, who really cares? I mean, I guess, you know, it keeps your quarterback in the huddle, but I don't think that's a huge, huge factor and all of a sudden totally changing your offense's ability to produce. Um yeah, it, it's it's something to wear with Wentz. The big playability, driving the ball down the field, the third down, the red zone stuff, making plays with his legs. I think that is is pretty attractive um, to me. Now, you know, the question you guys know I make, you know, all these golf analogies. You know, everyone's got the buddy that just pounds it, hits it a mile, but – hell is he yelling four and you're driving your golf cart three fairways over to find his ball <laughs> like if he's hitting two fairways around that's the issue or his rivers you know 11 12 fairways around it might not stand out to you because it's only going 220 230 
But all of a sudden, you add it up at the end of the day, and he only he didn't lose a single ball, and your buddy's you know buying you know trying to steal range balls to play the back <laughs> nine. Like I think that's where you are getting into um, what you want. So now, if that erratic buddy finds the slot and he starts swinging it, and it's seven or eight fairways around, now it, it's it, it's a totally different animal. So, um. Yeah, I guess, again, I don't listen to a whole lot of national-oriented podcasts. It seems a bit feast or famine of, like, uh, Wentz won't be able to reach it. The Colts only got worse. Um, I mean, let's be honest. Rivers played good football last year, but it's not like he was a top six or seven quarterback in the league. I mean, he played solid football and and did a lot of good, but there was clearly a part of this offense that was lacking, and I think you hit on it pretty well here, Zach. So, yeah, higher ceiling, yes. Lower floor? You got to say that as well. Chris is pretty much saying we can go into next season knowing DeForest Buckner, Grover Stewart, and Quiddy Pay have a hundred percent chance to make the Colts roster at the beginning of the year. Where people like myself, Kevin, you, and him, we have zero percent chance. <laughs> yeah, fair. But what are the chance would you give these other linemen? And he's going to assume Deo Odangbo starts on the IR. The other defensive linemen to make the roster: Tyquan Lewis, Alkadi Muhammad, Kamoko Ture. Antoine Woods, Isaac Rochelle, Rob Windsor, Ben Banigou, Taylor Stallworth, Chris Williams, Andrew Brown, and Cameron Klein. Oh, wow. Okay. So he's got, you said the first three, uh, Buckner, Stewart, Pay, slam dunks. Yep. Yep, o- I would o- agree. Odangbo on the IR, and then who else is rounding okay. out that, that defensive line? Um, This is a good one, and I do think you're going to cut you know, a, a name or two from this group. Um, let's go in order there. He says Lewis first. You know, I think about 98%. I think Taquan Lewis is one of the more underappreciated players in this football team. Um, maybe not so much of what he's done in his career to this point, Chris. You just look at a depth chart and you start counting reps, and I just think he's underappreciated in what he'll mean to this 2021 football team. So I'm very high on that. al Muhammad, I'll go 85%. I, I, again, I think he's a guy that just – Makes you sleep better at night. And for a group that I don't think there's a lot of people in that group that make me sleep super well, he's one of them. Ture, um, just because of the ankle, I'll say 75. But, I mean, it, it would really have to be bad for him not to make that football team. Uh, Antoine Woods. So I kind of put him and Stallworth together. Okay. I almost feel like it might be difficult for both to make the team you you might have room for both but you got to think about it's really just a couple of defensive tackles that don't play special teams and don't play defensive end so they're very specialized and they're probably more run guys than pass down guys so I'll go Woods 55% Stallworth 45 but I almost think that's either or okay uh who else Isaac Rochelle Coin flip. Let's go 50. Rob Windsor, that's – I think he's got a little bit more flexibility than some of the other defensive tackles and thought he actually did something last year, but I'll say 35% is just – Yeah. It's tough. And then Banigou. Oh, boy. I mean, that's the elephant in the room. So, Pay is 100%. Lewis, I think, can play end. I've got Muhammad. I've got Ture. Gosh, you got to think Ture's healthy. I, I really think Banigou is – is another coin flip. I mean, right now, if you're going to pencil in your top four or five defensive ends and everyone's healthy, I guess not a dangbo in this case. I mean, I put four names above Banigo. Pay, Lewis, Ture, and Rochelle. Oh, no, excuse me. Muhammad and Ture. Mm-hmm. I put four without a doubt, and some could talk me into putting a fifth in Rochelle. You know, if you're the fifth defensive end or sixth defensive end, then, boy, it's, it's, yeah, that's, you know, you're his agent. You're going to be sweating a little bit come camp time. Yep. Um. Yeah, Banigou's got to entrench himself on special teams and then obviously has to make a great impression D-line. I'd put the rest about 5%. Okay. The rest of those guys. That's a good one. This one comes from Louisiana guy. I'm frustrated, so part of me for what I may say. Mm, 
Why does it seem that Ballard is afraid of making certain moves to put our team over the top? Yes, he made the DeForest Buckner deal, but outside of that, there's really not just been a wow type of move that he's made, in my opinion, that makes us a legit threat. I mean, he's done a great job with the salary cap and contracts, but we will need a jolt that puts us into the conversation when you talk about the Ravens, Bills, and Chiefs. A move for Julio Jones would have been that for me. I just see most people saying things about the cap, but the Bucks and the Saints could work around that, so why can't we? It just feels like Ballard plays too cheap too often and pulls out rather than being aggressive. His approach in free agency as well is beyond frustrating when it involves proven talent out there that can make us better and he does not go after them. What are your thoughts? Thanks for the work you and Chris do every week. Well, thank you, Louisiana guy. And that's, oh boy, there are a couple of new windows in that question that could be taken multiple ways, but we'll, we'll, we'll let those sit there. Um, yeah, I think Chris Bauer knows his leash is long. It's interesting. You know, Ursay, what, 60-something years old? You know, you... So I'm like kind of curious how Herb Simon's feeling. You know, a little bit older. Yep. Like, what do you what do you want near the end of that ownership? You know, are you are you really? And obviously, Ursay could certainly live for much much longer. But, um, you know, are you? Do you feel like you're pressing at all, or do you feel like, you know, the window is whatever somewhat small? And I do think uh, Ballard loves flexibility. You know, I've always said this, and I know Ryan Grigson was on with Dan Dockich, I think Saturday, and he's been playing some of the clips this week. I've always said kind of marry the Grigson-Ballard philosophy. You know, I'm probably a little bit more in the Ballard camp with roster construction and certainly the draft and his core beliefs in the draft. But I do think there was a sign of Grigson in free agency where just in general, you know, he wants to put that pedal down to the ground a little bit more than than Chris. Um, and I always think, especially once you've repaired the roster, rebuilt the roster, how Chris has done it, I think you've reached a point where it's quality over quantity. And 10 draft picks making the team, that's no longer happening. Two or three undrafted free agents making the team, that's no longer happening. If I'm not mistaken, wasn't the only undrafted guy last year Hot Rod? I don't think there was an undraft. I don't know. I'd have to go back and look. But um, – I don't think yeah, an undrafted free agent make the team, initially at least. Uh, maybe to Michael Harris, but I think he might have been practicing. Was Cassius that, undrafted? Cassius Marsh. Yeah. No, he um, he he's been in the league for okay for a few years. Um, so yeah, I just uh, I think you're at a kind of a quality over quantity point. So, um, I also feel like Ballard is just a little bit more of. The public's view of win now and Ballard's view of win now or like you're there are a little bit different in that. Um, and his willingness to push chips to the middle is just, mm-hmm. it's different. Now, will he ever get there? Will we ever see that? That's a question. But like, I think in the Ballard era from 2017 to 2021, you know, have we ever sat here in late, I guess it's early in the summer, have we ever sat here in the summer and said to ourselves the Colts are one of the four or five teams that are capable of winning the Super Bowl? I don't think so. No. Now, some might argue, well, if you're seven or eight on that list and you make a move like a Julio, now you are in that group. Okay, I I, I could listen to you. I don't think Julio all of a sudden would have skyrocketed you there. Um, but, you know, he clearly, Louisiana guy clearly thinks that it would have. Um you know, I, I still think this is a team right now that's, you know, a little bit more in the – when you talk goals, Super Bowl's the goal, but, like, they haven't even crossed off the other goals. Division, you know, winning multiple playoff right. games, things like that. So I still think you're you're kind of there. Having said that, you never know when the run is going to be there. And, you know, Tampa Bay obviously rattling off all those road playoff wins this past year. You know, is that run capable with this football team right now? I got to see more from the quarterback before I go there. That's fair. All right, Travis has an oddball question for you. Okay. Chris Ballard loves to build through the draft. How many wins do you think Chris Ballard and Frank Reich-led expansion team would have won if we were filling out a 53-man roster with only draft picks from this last draft? Interesting, as you only get the biggest talent at every position offered in the draft. 
but your team will be filled with rookies that have no experience in your system or the NFL for that matter. She wow, this is wild. Okay, so I literally all rookies. Fifty three main roster rookies. But I get all the draft picks. Like I could I have the first fifty three draft picks. Mm-hmm. Oh man, that's fascinating. Um boy. <clears throat> wow. This is one of those, you know, Madden's about to come out. I know, dude. I'm like <laughs> I'm trying to like process it in my brain. Like, okay, Trevor Lawrence with literally Jamar Chase and um shit, what's the Heisman Trophy winner's name? Smith. Devontae uh, Smith. Devontae Smith and Jalen Watt. I'm like, whoa, geez. That's exciting. Yep. Najee Harris. Najee geez, Harris. That's exciting. Um, but they're all rookies and they're all draft picks. We gotta keep them out of the bars. <laughs> um four and twelve. Okay. Too too many, too little. I, I mean, they're all I, rookies. I, That's all rookies is tough, but you got to think. I mean, when, that's a lot of talent. It's a lot of talent, and when you go back to uh, everyone always saying the average lifespan of NFL players three years, so realistically, I'm only giving you on paper a two year a two year cushion. Like you only have yeah. average of two years more experience than my team. Right, but yeah, I I, I get that, <laughs> but that's not a hundred percent true. No, I know. Yeah, I know. One voice can. Uh, Boy, that's that's a wild one, Travis. Yeah, I'll say four and twelve. But I'd love to see it. I d I don't know. I mean, you're taking the the best college right. You right. basically college have the college all Americans yeah. versus an NFL team. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah, I'll I'll go four and twelve. Okay. Colton says he has a crazy scenario for you. So let's keep on the crazy train here. Let's do it. What if Isaiah Rogers explodes as a corner and he's too good to bench? We move Kenny Moore to free safety, Julian Blackman back outside the corner, and boom, best secondary in the league. <laughs> oh, man, you wish it was that easy. I, I like Julian Blackman at safety, you know? Um, I like him as a versatile piece. When Chris Bowers calling Julian Blackman an all-pro at safety, I don't see him moving to outside corner. Now, obviously, you like his versatility, and he has the corner background in college at Utah. I also think Kenny Moore is so good close to the line of scrimmage. Yeah. Like Kenny Moore to me is not a deep field safety at five nine, you know. Like that's just not him. Uh, obviously, Carl Willis, you like close to the line of scrimmage. I think in general, what this is saying though is like, what is the future at outside corner? Xavier Rhodes, not the future at outside corner. Like I mean, your list right now at outside cornerback, because some might argue Isaiah Rogers better slot, but let's throw him in the outside group. Rakusin, Marvell Tell, Isaiah Rogers, and I guess Kenny, but again, you like Kenny in the slot more. That is a big, you know, long term question, Mark. You didn't draft the corner this year. Obviously, Rock two years ago, you know, Marvell. Um I guess Marvell and Rock were in the same draft, weren't they? Mm-hmm. So yeah. That to me is your bigger question, Colton. So yeah, I I appreciate the crazy scenario, but no. This one comes from Mitch, who says, Chris Ballard recently commented on the Colts' window being t- beginning to crack open. Mitch says, I suspect that the Titans see they're starting to close. History tells us that with running backs, they have a limited shelf life. Henry has, what, one, two, maybe three seasons left? As goes Henry, so does Tennessee. So the Titans make a win-now move with Bud Dupree, Danico Autry, and most obvious, Julio Jones. Meanwhile, the Colts' moves look to be a little bit more long-term. A quarterback in need of rehabilitation a red shirt and a, a red shirt in the second round pick, a veteran left tackle who might miss a quarter of the season and betting on young unproven pass rushers. The Colts aren't fully in win now mode, but Tennessee sure looks to be. Yeah, I think I agree a lot with what Mitch is saying there. It's a little bit similar to the question we we just had, you know, when do you commit to all in? I mean, you have this generational running back. So you've got to be super aggressive. You know, how I say the Colts of, like, yeah, I've talked about this five- to seven-year window with so much of their core. And I agree with that. Obviously, I've said it. But I don't know how nice that window is, if that makes sense. Like, I think it's a – I know it's a five- to seven-year window. Um, 
but you know, is it a window that you're putting in a crawl space or is it a window you're putting in your master bedroom? Like what exactly does that look like? Uh, because there are those questions that Mitch lays out. And as much as I think people would like to take chances, be aggressive, if you swing and miss when it already looks like the at-bat has some question marks, now all of a sudden you've dug yourself a deeper hole. And I think that's where Chris Bauer is right now. Like, I, I, I've talked about it before. I think the level of confidence that Chris Bauer has in Carson Wentz and Frank Reich has in Carson Wentz is two different beliefs. I think Reich is 99.9% sure it's going to work. I think Ballard is probably more in the, whatever, 80s or something like that. Um, and when you're the GM, you probably need to play skeptic a little bit more because you always got to think about worst-case scenarios. Correct. Um, but, you know, that's where – and I think this is such a great debate for every franchise. You know, we um, – Jay Michael, who covers the Pacers in Apple Star, was on with JMV yesterday, and he mentioned how – teams were calling the Pacers at the trade deadline for Doug McDermott. And I was such a big believer the Pacers should sell at the deadline, McDermott being the sell piece, because I now look at it like this. Teams have interest in Doug McDermott at the trade deadline. The Pacers just realized T.J. Warren's going to be out for the year. To me, that is screaming, you sell McDermott, who is an expiring contract. So if teams are interested in Doug McDermott in February, they're probably going to be interested in, in him this summer. The Pacers don't have gobs of cap space, and do they really need to shell out 20-some million over three years for a 30-year-old bench player? Like, is he a nice piece? Yes. Is he a piece that pushed you over the top? Clearly not. So that's when Kevin Pritchard and you as an organization have to sit there and say, wow, what's the future? Immediately. Like, are we going to win with him? Can we retain him? If those questions are iffy or no, then I think you sell. Like, you've got to get in this mindset of knowing when to hold them, knowing when to yep. fold them, you know, for for to steal a poker analogy there. So I think the Colts are at a point right now where you're just walking a fine line of, is Wentz 100% the answer? It's tough. It's tough. And I get fans. I want them to commit and heavily commit. Um but unless you're 100% sure on wins, I don't think you can do it. All right, we got three more Twitter questions. This first one's coming from Trevor. Another hypothetical for you. If the Colts could get a Khalil Mack-type deal for Leonard, would you take it? The Bears traded two first and a third and a sixth. Or, or I sh- yeah, Bears traded two first, a third, and a sixth for Mack and a second. Huge fan of the show. You're the real MVP. Thank you, Trevor. I, <laughs> I appreciate that, and thank you uh, for listening. Um, okay, so he's saying Colts trade Leonard and they get that trade package. Mm-hmm. So the Colts traded Leonard and a second? Or they, they They would. If you go off of how the Bears did, yes. Right. So let's just knock out the third and the sixth and the, and the second. Let's just knock all those out. You know, a second-round pick is worth a third and a sixth. Sure. Um, so that's basically, would you trade Darius Leonard for two first-round picks? Yeah, I would. Um, okay, I, I look at it in a couple ways. I don't have to pay him. I mean, you're right now getting ready to pay Darius Leonard $18 million a year. Now, you're losing a very good player. Like, no doubt about it, you're losing a great leader. And I'm sure there are people out there that would heavily disagree with this. But I'm getting great draft capital. And with those two first-rounders, I think to myself, now I can draft another version of Leonard, hopefully, on a rookie deal, so cheaper. And now I have another first-round pick to play with. And I think I trust Chris Bauer to drafting. And obviously I'm thinking about, you know, I'm losing a first-rounder potentially next year. So that's my back pocket to maybe draft the left tackle of the future, maybe draft a corner of the future, a quarterback, if that DEFCON scenario comes up. So would I trade Darius Leonard for two first-round picks? And also, like, I mean, I don't know. I didn't expect the Bears to become a Super Bowl team with that move. I look at the Bears as what they've been, a team drafting in the late teens, early yeah. 20s, like something like that. It's not like you're trading them to Kansas City, and you're like, oh, here's the 32nd pick for the next couple of years. So, yeah, I would probably do it. I I would probably do it. I, I – 
I don't look at Leonard and Will Linebacker and think, like, Quentin Nelson and guard, like some people do. I mean, like, there are people, and I hear from them, who are like, there's no way I'd pay Quentin Nelson the type of contract he's going to ask for here coming up. Okay. That's, you know, Ryan Grigson would definitely not pay Quentin Nelson that money. And some might be like, well, that's because Ryan Grigson's stupid. Well, no, that's Ryan Grigson's philosophy on the line. Ryan Grigson's big belief, and him and I have had conversations about this, is – he wanted to build his O-line, the interior of it, like his Philly Super Bowl teams did, or even like the Colts Super Bowl teams did. You know, Jeff Saturday, Ryan Lilja, and whatever, Rick DeMoline or whoever else mm-hmm. is the other guard, I don't know, um, Dylan Gandy. Like, those aren't, you know, the sixth overall pick. And at the time, Braden Smith was thought to be a guard, 37th overall pick. So um, if that's your belief on guard and linebacker and those kind of positions that maybe we don't always put up there, then not giving Darius Leonard $18 million, trying to find another really good linebacker, and then getting an additional first-round pick, that would be the route to go. Okay. Do you think I'm crazy? No, this. I mean, these kind of questions are always the ones for debate. And it kind yeah. of it's almost like uh, when we were talking about the draft in terms of we're going to go O-line or DN first, where you said, listen, I could be talked into both sides. So it's one where regardless of what side of the fence you sit on as a Colts fan, you're going to be very adamant about it. No matter how we answer yeah. that question, someone's going to, you know, think we're, we're idiots or stupid mm-hmm. or whatever. I think Khalil Mack was a little more versatile. I could put him on the end and drop him back, whereas Darius Leonard, I mean, even though he creates pressure, he's more of a tackler than a guy that's getting sacks. So, right. Um, and I guess, what do you want, you know? I mean, Mack is the edge rusher. Leonard is taking away the ball, but not, you know, that pure edge rusher. So I think that's a good point as well. And I don't. I, mean, I think Leonard means a whole lot to this football team. I, I'm not in the belief of like, oh, linebackers, bah, whatever. They don't mean anything. Yeah. Go play with, you know, CO Moore, some other random <laughs> Colts linebacker. But, um, boy, it'd be a big wake up call to Bobby Okariki. Well, yeah. And, and also, I know they're in different age groups and different position groups. But if you see what they just got for Julio, if I can turn around and get that for Leonard. Dude, NFL trades are so weird, aren't they? Like, you see what Hopkins got. Or what it took to get Hopkins, what it right. took to get Julio, and then you see what it takes to get like some of these quarterbacks. It's just it's so it's so wild. Um, yeah, that's that's a good one there. Thank you for that, Trevor. From Patrick, after the Chris Ballard post draft meeting, you mentioned Ballard makes it known when someone is off the record, and off or when something is off off the record. So how do you use the off the record information in your content and reporting? when you can't reference the the off-the-record information? (laughs) That's a really good question, Patrick. Um, Subtly? You know, I I, I would say that's how I try to use that. You know, obviously you're not going to see the direct quotes from Chris Ballard on the the off-the-record stuff. Um, You see the direct quotes on the the on-the-record stuff, but the the off-the-record stuff gets sprinkled in. I just don't make it clear right I don't you know it comes back to like you know my goal in journalism reporting producing content is never to be a hot take central like that is the last thing that I am looking to be wanting to be on this podcast our airwaves written content you are listening to this for a reason though and I hope it's because you want sound information and with some interesting opinion that's rooted in some fact. Like, right. you know, when you when you ever hear an opinion from me, and I try to make it very clear of, like, I believe the Colts think this or the Colts think this. This is where I stand. I try to divide that line um, pretty clearly. Everything I say is going to have some sort of basis of a fact or a tidbit. Now, I might, I might not make it like obviously clear to you on where I'm getting that information or how I got that information, but just know that it's likely 99% of the time there. And if it's not, I will say on this podcast, and I usually say it like two or three times, this is me, and I could totally be wrong. Like This is yep. my total gut feeling. This is me guessing. This is me, you know, whatever. I've you know, had a few beers. I'm watching Notre Dame, and I'm just yelling off the couch like – or it's, no, no, you know, this is coming from, <laughs> trust me on this, and just believe me. Right. Like, and uh, I don't know, I, I I appreciate that you listeners out there, I think, um, I think we've earned that from them, that they just know inherently to, to, to trust that. Um, so, yeah, it's, 
you know, if I'm saying something like the Colts think, I'm not, I'm not being like, oh, yeah, I talked to the marketing intern, you know, the other day. No, I mean, like, <laughs> you know, it's usually coming from um, a pretty good source. So, yeah, the off-the-record stuff, I've definitely dropped some of that in here. Um, but it's subtle. It's subtle. It's, you know, questions spark. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Um, those sorts of things. But, no, I don't think it's in a blatant manner. But And a lot of it's just kind of good stuff to come back to. Like, you know, some of the stuff – it's not immediately relevant right now, but if for some reason, you know, a certain scenario really works out or really doesn't work out, you do have that kind of in your back pocket to come right. back to at a later point. So I hope that makes sense, Patrick. I know it's a fascinating question. I I know I get it from my in-laws a lot, My both my brothers-in-law and uh, our father-in-law are, you know, big Colts fans or just big sports fans in general, and, and my brother obviously is huge, and you guys have heard him on this podcast before. Um, they're curious and they want to know those things as well. So um, I get the fascination with it. I'm fascinated by, I mean, like I'd love to know how Adam Schefter broke the Andrew Luck news. Like, wouldn't we love to know that just out of curiosity? Sure. There's a lot of venom with Schefter and that, but like, how are you at your mom's mother-in-law birthday dinner in New York city? Mm -hmm. And that all of a sudden develops to, you know, breaking that news. Yeah. And I think that's why I, I think I'll speak for myself and the rest of the people that listen, obviously, is that's why we enjoy the content you produce is because the first half of the podcast is typically, you know, you going over things that you ha- are personally seeing or have direct information right. to. That's what, why how you're writing your articles. The second part is us having fun with Twitter questions. Some of that being not necessarily you having hot takes, but you giving your opinion. Some yeah. of it, like you said, sprinkling in some of the tidbits that you know. But then also, what I found fun and fascinating, been doing this for about a year, is there are some questions that you're like, eh, you know what, I might ask them that. That's right. A, that's oh, a good question. So man. it's fun to see, you know, some of the questions that people ask on this show make its way. Like, Chris Ballard might have heard one of your questions before because it was it caught Kevin enough that he passes it along. 100%. I mean, I have said this before. The fans' minds and their thinking, their passion, mm-hmm. and their knowledge, too— um, it's a resource. Like, I want to tap into that. I want to hear what you guys are thinking, what you're curious about, what you want to know more about. Um, you know, wow, that's like my fifth or sixth question we've gotten on that. Let me look a little bit deeper into that. Like, it sparks interest in me as well. So, you know, I, I've, I teach a class at IU, and one of the things that I really, and we can move on to the last question after this, but the one thing I really try and hammer home to students of what my belief is, is my belief is I want to be informative, available and interactive those are kind of the three keys informative to me that's like journalism 101 like if you don't know what you're talking about and you don't have the facts why the what why would i listen to you like that's just stupid available i look at that as multi-platform we do this podcast we have written work in training camp we're gonna have a daily recap video from uh, grand park as well available on multiple platforms and interactive that's this. That's Twitter questions every week. You know, for the most part, I respond to um, you know questions on Twitter. When you guys DM Chris or I, we put these questions in, and we get to virtually all of them. I feel like we will get to all of them by the end of the off season. So, those are the other things that I keep on coming back to as well. Awesome. Well, thanks for that insight. Last one comes from Big Bama. I just wanted your thoughts on the job the Colts are doing with the kicking the stigma fund, and your thoughts on the Darius Leonard piece the Colts did on him being called the worst pick in the draft to where he is now as a player and a leader both on and off the field. Yeah, let's start with kicking the stigma. I think it's unbelievably awesome what they're doing. Um, you need public voices to help remove, I think, the the, the stigma of this isn't a, a disease. And, you know, we talk so much about physical health and rehabbing your physical health as an athlete, but I think there's a huge component to the mental health. Um, so kudos to Jim Ursay, um, Kalen Ursay, the young, Kalen Jackson, I believe, um, is what she goes by now. Um for being so public in it, and I think Kalen's done an unbelievable job. I've said this before. I think Kalen should be running the operation when it's all, you know, said and done, um, and that next torch is is passed to the to, to the next generation there. Um, so yeah, I think she's doing a brilliant, brilliant job with that, and and I think some players. I think Darius has been a player that has spoken up. I I think I watched that Darius piece. I don't know how much of that was. It wasn't. I think a whole lot of kicking the stigma. I think it was more of just about his roots growing up in rural South Carolina. I don't know. Maybe I'm watching a different uh, article on that, but I know he's been vocal in both. Um, 
And Colts Productions, I know they won a couple Emmys. I mean, they do great. I, I really enjoyed the Reggie Wayne draft pick one a few weeks ago. Yeah. Um, Todd Basavari, one of their scouts, does a nice job. Uh, he had some, you know, kind of pulled out, you know, scouting reports from 99, 2000, when, you know, whenever about Reggie and whatnot. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's great stuff that they're doing and certainly being very public um, with some of that stuff as well. And um, I think it's needed. So good job by them. Perfect. Yeah, again, like you said, uh, or like we mentioned earlier in the podcast, go ahead and look in the description below if you're on YouTube to look for more of Kevin's content. If you're listening on audio platforms, 1075thefan.com always has you covered. Kevin, anything you want to add? No, I appreciate that, man. Like you said, we've got uh, daily content up there up on the website and um, going to get into a little bit more of kind of some of the draft picks, going back to some of those articles here in a bit. I'm trying to think this week. We've already posted um, uh, Eason. That yep. was on Monday, right? A um, little bit of Darius Leonard insight on kind of his first impressions about Quiddy Pay as well. Um, and then we'll get into some contract extension stuff. You know, Leonard, Braden Smith, I'm expecting those to get done before the start of the season. So we'll get into that on the website as well. So he is Chris Presley. I am Kevin Bowen. Everybody have a great Father's Day, a great weekend, and we'll be back next week on another edition of Kevin's Corner. This has been Kevin Bowen. Thank you for listening to another edition of Kevin's Corner. If you haven't already, subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher for the best Colts and Pacers coverage.